Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, if you receive the email from Cornerstone, you'll know that we only have a few sermons left uh, in Philippians. So that is somewhat of a milestone for us. Uh, in fact, next week we may finish the book of Philippians. And Jacob, I believe, will be preaching a sermon on the 21st. Uh, and then we may take one look back at Philippians uh, to close out uh, the month. But today we are in Philippians 4, 10 through 13, entitled The Secret to Contentment. The Apostle Paul writes, I rejoice in the Lord greatly because once again you have renewed your concern for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we need help learning how to be content in plenty and in hunger and in abundance and in need. Lord, we need the strength that we do not possess on our own, God. Lord, even in, in, in hearing your word proclaimed, Lord, we ask that your spirit would come and do what we're unable to do, Lord, and, and glorify your son, Jesus Christ, in our hearts. Persuade us to love you through him and in Christ. Persuade us that you, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Lord, is enough, is infinite joy, Lord, and satisfying can only be found in you. Turn us from earthly things turn us to our Heavenly Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Philippians 4.13 uh, may be one of the most known and memorized and hung on the refrigerator verses out of the entire Bible. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Or I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Ironically, it may also be the verse that Christians are most criticized or critiqued for misunderstanding more than any other verse in the entire Bible. The criticism comes because professing Christians love to use the phrase, I can do all things, but a lot of times they use it out of context. They'll, they'll typically use it as motivation or inspiration for personal gain and self-accomplishment. For example, a sports player may use the verse uh, for inspiration to win the ball game. An entrepreneur might use the verse to inspire them to chase after and accomplish their dreams. And to be fair to the critics, inspiration for accomplishing our personal goals is not what this passage is teaching. In this text, Paul explains how he is content in every situation with and without. And so if we hang this verse on our refrigerator 
It should be used to remind us that we are called to be content in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. If you remember a few weeks ago, I quoted Jeremiah Burroughs, who I'll quote about three or four times today, who wrote the book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, who said, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise, fatherly disposal in every condition. In other words, what he's saying is contentment is an inward peace and, and a thankfulness. It's gratitude. Not only when we get what we want, but it's also an inward peace and thankfulness, even more so when we receive what we do not desire. Contentment, true contentment, trusts God's decision to provide or to withhold. Because as Burroughs suggests, we delight in God's provision because we know, we believe that it descends from his divine wisdom. In short, Christian contentment says, God knows best, believes God knows best, and that provides inward peace and joy. It's easy to say, right? I know it's difficult to keep our hearts aligned with God's will. It's, it's difficult to face disappointment. And I'd be a hypocrite if I stood up here and said that my mind, my heart, is never persuaded to find happiness in earthly things. And just like you, I, I am tempted to think that my life would be easier, possibly even better, if I could just acquire what I think I so desperately need. Because that's a relentless temptation that we face together, we need to be reminded it's not true. In today's passage, Paul helps us further, not just by reminding us, but he actually reveals the secret to being content. It's not a secret anymore. And he said, it doesn't matter if our bellies are full or if they're famished. If we have more than we need, I mean, at least we know you're on the Bible app, so, so <laughs> praise God. Okay. That's, yeah, praise the Lord. That is the first time I've ever heard the Bible app go off in service. It is better than a ringtone. Uh, or is that your ringtone? Never mind. I forget. It's not, if that's your ringtone, that, there we go. Uh, in Christ, I can do all things. He strengthens me. Okay, uh, back on track. He helps, he reveals the secret that no matter if our bellies are full or if we're famished or, or if we have plenty of wealth, or we aren't even sure how we're going to make ends meet. He says, no matter what situation you're in, no matter what situation we are in, the secret to contentment is found in the one who provides the strength to endure. So three points of application. Learn to be content with little. Learn to be content with affliction. Learn to be content with an abundance. We'll start with learn to be content with little. 
Verses 11 and 12, Paul says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned, I have learned, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Sometimes reading Paul, the apostle who wrote this letter, sometimes reading him, it can make it feel like he's a a super Christian, and we're all just hanging on by the seat of our pants. For instance, in, in, in this passage, it would be easy to feel discouraged if contentment is a serious struggle for you. Now, Paul seems to have it all figured out. And therefore, you or I may be tempted to think something's wrong with us since we don't have it all figured out. If that's you, there is something that Paul says that I, that I, I think may actually come as an encouragement to you this morning. Because he says, I learned to be content. He didn't just come, become content in, every, in, every, in any circumstance at the point of regeneration or at the point of his rebirth. When he was born again, he had to learn things. And contentment was one of them. It was an ongoing, sanctifying work that God did through him, in him. And the experiences that Paul faced in life and ministry, they were a great place for him to receive that education. Like Paul, we too can learn to be content, be encouraged. Outside of experience, part of Paul's education and learning contentment would have been from the scriptures themselves. Because across the word of God, it teaches God's people and calls God's people to trust in his provision and to not set our hearts and minds on anything he has forbidden or wisely withholds. They call us to trust his provision. And they call us not to set our hearts and minds on that which he forbids or withholds. And they also exhibit the consequences for those who don't obey. If you recall the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, or 2 and 3, God provided a dwelling place for Adam and Eve where he was even present himself with the couple. Everything on earth was created good, and it was for their enjoyment. Everything, except one tree, just one. So only thing in all of creation that we're told God chose to withhold from them. But instead of being satisfied everything else that God provided, including even being near the Lord, they ate. They chose to ate in discontentment. And questioning God's provision, when Adam and Eve began to question God's provision, 
began when the serpent came along and convinced Eve that God was concealing something wonderful from them. The text even says in Genesis 3, when Eve looked at it, it looked good, it looked desirable, it was pleasing to the eye. Once she believed that she was missing out, even though it was forbidden by God, she became discontent with everything else that God provided. and gave some to Adam. And as a consequence for their sin, they were banished from the Garden of Eden, the dwelling place of God on earth. Death became inevitable. Sin entered the entire world. Death became inevitable for the entire human race. One sin of discontentment. The fall in Eden is a teachable moment for all of us, including Paul, including the apostle. Because it reminds us that anything God says no to is for our own good. <laughs> Yet, just like Eve, we're tempted to believe God's withholding is a punishment instead of a protection. Loved one, no matter how great sin's promises disobedience will never be able to satisfy our longings. It, sin will never be able to deliver true happiness. It promises it, but it can't deliver ever. The, the, the tragic irony of it all is that what we believe outside of God's will is going to bring us the most happiness is actually what's going to make us the most miserable. It's like the little boy who believes he just cannot live without the cookies that his mother has freshly made. And even though she said, wait, don't take one yet. Wait until after dinner, son. He takes one anyway. And he goes off somewhere secretly to enjoy it. With every bite, all he can do is think about his disobedience. Proverbs 20:17, bread gained by deceit, sweet to a man, but afterwards his mouth will be full of gravel. Nothing in life will ever taste sweet when done in defiance to God. It may seem pleasurable at the time, but soon after, the realization of what you've done will set in and the guilt will be overwhelming. Learn to be content with little. Do you have overwhelming guilt this morning? Don't want to just leave us there. If you have guilt this morning, guilt that you just cannot escape, you can't escape it, but you can only escape it if you run to Christ. Because the blood of Jesus Christ is not only able to forgive your sins, it is also capable of cleansing your conscience. Learn to be content with affliction. Point two. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. 
I know how to be brought low. And Burroughs makes another insightful point about being content in affliction. He says it is a mystery of the carnal heart. They can see no such thing. Perhaps they think God loves them when, they prosper, when he prospers them and makes them rich. But they think God doesn't love them when he afflicts them. Affliction is a mystery, but grace instructs men in that mystery. Grace enables men to see love in the very frown of God's face and so come to receive contentment. In other words, what what Burroughs is saying, while the carnal man, the unbeliever, cannot fathom how affliction can be representative of God's love, the spiritual man, the believer, is confident that God is good and works all things according to his purposes. Paul learned that mystery firsthand. In in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, Paul was enabled by grace to understand the mystery of God's love being demonstrated through affliction by humbling Paul through torment. This is a fun passage. Paul says, so that I would not exalt myself... I know how to be brought low. Remember verse 12. So that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me, so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I think this passage is a helpful helps us in the misunderstanding that is common to Philippians 4.13. Because what people seem to think I can do all things through he who strengthens me means is that God will make us strong so that we can accomplish whatever we set our mind out to do. But that's not what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, is it? He says, my strength to endure comes from Christ. Therefore, his boasting is not in his ability to get the job done. Rather, Paul delights in his inability to accomplish anything because the power in his weakness belongs to God. And that knowledge has taught Paul that he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. Furthermore, the refusal, God's refusal to accommodate Paul's request in 2 Corinthians is actually the grace of God which taught Paul to be content 
while suffering. I feel the weight of this text for a moment. Paul doesn't tell the Corinthians here that God just didn't give him some piddly little thing he had really hoped for. Paul says, I was given a messenger of Satan to torment me. A messenger of Satan to torment me. And I pleaded to God three times to remove it. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient in your affliction. One of the greatest mysteries about providence, divine providence, is how God is able to use what men and Satan intend for evil in order to bring about his excellence. We find that ultimately demonstrated at the cross of Jesus Christ where 700 years prior to crossed prior to Christ going to the cross Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 53 that it was God's will to crush the Messiah and yet in God's providence, the crucifixion of the innocent man on the middle cross satisfied the wrath of God for everyone who would come to believe. Which means what? It means it was God's will to crush the Messiah for Christ to go to the cross and die so that sinners like you and me would be forgiven. It's a great mystery how God can use what men and Satan intend for evil to bring about his excellence, but he doesn't. Paul understood that. He also understood that the one who allowed the thorn to remain was also the same one who was able to remove it. Yet, it was the will of God that Paul should be humbled so that he would not exalt himself. And therefore, he tells us that the instrument of God's choosing to bring Paul low, to humble Paul, was a messenger from Satan to torment him. The best part is that Paul rejoiced. He responded to the Lord's affliction, completely satisfied. Lord, I accept this burden as a token of your grace. I will be content with this thorn in my flesh because this affliction you've given has fashioned the power of Christ which resides in me. It is also a profound mystery how God is able to produce peace in the minds of those he afflicts, in joy in the melody of the hearts which he causes to suffer. But as the hymn goes, while though my joys and comforts die, 
I know my Savior liveth. While though the darkness gather round, songs in the night he giveth. No storm can shake my inmost calm, while to the refuge clinging, since Christ is Lord of heaven and earth, how can I keep from singing? I lift my eyes, the cloud grows thin, I see the blue above it, and day by day the pathway smooths, since first I learned to love it. The peace of Christ makes my makes fresh my heart, a fountain ever springing. All things are mine since I am his. How can I keep from singing? Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Learn to be content with affliction. Learn to be content with abundance. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Whatever situation. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Finding contentment in having less isn't only an issue for the poor. Paul isn't just writing to the underprivileged and telling them, hey, you need to figure this happiness thing out. This passage is for the wealthy just as much as it is for those with less off. We see that in verse 12 because Paul says, I have learned how to be satisfied, content with plenty and abundance. It may even be the case that learning to be content if you have an abundance of wealth is even a greater need because the love of money is an even greater danger. As Jesus said to his disciples in the Gospels, it is easier for a camel to go through the eyes of a needle than a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Can't buy forgiveness with any amount of wealth. The only thing that can purchase the forgiveness of sins is the blood of Jesus Christ. One of the greatest deceptions of the human heart is to believe we will find happiness if we just get whatever we want. And an abundance of wealth persuades us, or having an abundance of wealth persuades us that it will provide the necessary means to do so. I wouldn't have these problems if I could just get what I need. When in fact, the Bible warns us, getting what we want outside of God's will should actually be our utmost fear. Because when God allows us to get whatever we want, the Bible says it is because he has removed his grace in judgment from those who have rejected his will. Psalm 81. 
God says, my people did not listen to my voice. Israel did not obey me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own plans. When God rejects Israel, his wrath was executed by delivering, by delivering them over to their self-fulfilling desires. In other words, God's judgment was giving Israel whatever they wanted. And still, many of us are tempted to believe that God's love is only demonstrated by fulfilling our desires. We, but the Bible says otherwise. The word of God teaches that God's love for his people, yes, he does fulfill desires, his desires, but God's love for his people is actually exhibited in his restraint to satisfy our longings that don't align with his will. In other words, the grace of God is withholding that from your life. The grace of God is withholding everything you think you need. Psalm 81 says the judgment of God is saying, fine, go after everything you want. We don't want that. And Paul goes to even further detail about what that looks like when God removes his grace. Romans 1.18, for God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Verse 21. So though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Here we go. Verse 24, here's the judgment. Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Verse 24, the judgment. God delivered them over to the desires of their hearts. Being delivered over to our own heart's desires is not a good thing. And if it were not for the grace of God protecting us and watching over us, Christian, by calling us away from the filth and back to Him, that's the grace of God that does that. It says, don't go to that, stay here, come back to me. If God didn't do that, our discontentment with earthly things would also result in God's judgment of withdrawal. So we read from Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your hearts. To delight in the Lord is to abandon what you think you need most and ask for whatever he desires. And then, joyfully submit to whatever he provides.
also, secondly, learning to be content with an abundance means we must not put our confidence in our wealth. We will never find rest for our souls in the abundance of earthly possessions. Psalm 52, 7. Behold the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and was strong in his evil desire. Mark 10. Starting in verse 17. Jesus was setting out on a journey. A man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus loved him. And said to him, you lack one thing, just one. Go, sell all you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come, follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving, because he had many possessions. Behold the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and was strong in his evil desire. The rich man fled to his riches instead of running to Christ. He put his confidence in his wealth. And while we don't know what happened to that man before he died, one day we are going to find out if he made a dreadful and eternal mistake. Loved ones, do not trade the treasury of Christ for the fleeting wealth of this world. It does not last. It cannot satisfy. It cannot fulfill. Learn to be content with an abundance. We'll conclude with one last borough quote. My brother, my sisters, the reason why you do not have contentment in the things of this world is not that you do not have enough of them. The reason is that they are not things proportional to that immortal soul of yours that is capable of God himself. One more quote. As Augustine said, God has made us for himself. And our hearts are restless until they find rest in him. And therefore, no matter what lot is cast upon you, Christian, Philippians 4.13, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, I don't know everyone is in regard to the cross but if they have not been brought low yet I pray that you would bring them low to their knees Lord not clinging on to one thing as the rich man did but clinging on to the feet of Jesus Christ and asking for forgiveness confessing their sin 
calling upon him as Lord and repenting from transgressions. God, this is a work that only you can do in us. Regenerate their hearts. Take away the, 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 the rock and replace it with flesh. Lord, we ask that you would do this to the glory of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are our salvation.